0: hey everyone welcome back to nature's finest we have a great one for you today i am super excited about this one this park is a favorite of mine in all of kentucky and i can't say enough wonderful 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 things about it i've been to this resort park many times and i cannot wait to tell you all about blue licks battlefield state resort park this is a park that offers everybody Something to do. And I do mean everybody. History buffs, people who enjoy hiking, watching the birds, just sitting out on the balcony of a lodge room and taking in the wooded view. And there's even more than that. So all i got to say is buckle up. This is going to be a great one. This is a tiny little park that packs a serious punch. And you're not going to want to miss out on this place. I can guarantee you that. So, without any further delay, let's get started. Just a tiny, tiny bit about the park, as I always do. Blue Licks Battlefield State Resort Park has a history that goes back to the Revolutionary War, as the Battle of Blue Licks is considered to be the final battle of the Revolution and it took place on what is now Park Grounds. Its history within the purviews of the Department of Tourism goes about 95 years back when the park was established, And over the years, facilities including a museum, a lodge complete with meeting rooms and a restaurant, and two cabins were added to the park, among other things including leisure sports, leisure activities, and picnic areas. Despite its really small size at roughly a couple hundred acres, uh, maybe a little less, the park offers a lot to guests and is somewhat a popular destination for locals, as this state park is the only in the vicinity which kind of includes the towns of Carlisle, Mayslick, Maysville. This is really their only state park without having to drive all the way to Carter Caves. Like as such, other parks are within an hour or so, but this is really the closest for them. So generally you go and it's also being the park is also being used by locals as well as some tourists. This is the closest and most convenient park by far for residents of Fleming, Nicholas, and Robertson counties. So, despite its size, what does this park offer? The lodge itself has a complete list of amenities alone, including a dining room, and the food is killer. 32 guest rooms, 3 meeting rooms, a gift shop, a little small kind of snack and concession stand at the front desk, A large shared balcony where you can just kind of go and chill. And that's between, I want to say, the main building and uh, uh, building one. Something like that. And a beautiful lower level courtyard. Which is just, it's really cool. It's really retro and it's beautiful the way they keep it. There's also two cabins. And a decent sized campground where all but about five or six plots have electricity. And there's also water available, but I believe it's like shared use. You go to like one spot to get water, it's not on your actual campground. And uh, there's also a place on the campground where you can get firewood and ice. There is also a museum just up the street from the lodge, just up the park road there. It has artifacts on display from the Revolutionary War, including artifacts from local Native American tribes from the area tools, weapons, and more from the American soldiers in the Revolution, and there's even a section in the museum about Old Blue Lick, which was a salt lick that had been nearby. For those looking to get outside, there is plenty of hiking. You get seven, eight, maybe slightly more than eight miles of interconnected trails ranging from the shortest one is two-tenths of a mile, and the longest is two-and-a-half although dually note with that two and a half you gotta hike a minimum of a quarter mile to get to the trail and then you gotta hike I think closer to if you do a quarter mile the first time I think you gotta do a half mile to three quarters of a mile to get back after you complete the trail so it ends up being more closer to three just over three there is also boating as you'll have access to the Licking River for boating and fishing A nine-hole mini golf course, I believe basketball, and ordinarily there'd be swimming, but as of the recording of this podcast, which would be late July 2023, the pool had been indefinitely closed due to a need for major repairs or replacement, but uh, they're aiming to replace it with another pool or a small water park, I believe. So, hopefully in the next year or so, that'll be completed. The hiking trails are of interest because the trails can mean different things to different people. And that's what makes this a really unique experience. It's not just hiking. It can be if you want it to be. But there's a trail that marks part of the route that was traveled by Daniel Boone. So if you're looking for that kind of history, you can get that in a hike at the same time. Another trail, which is the Buffalo Trace, was part of the Underground Railroad Route. So there's that history as well. The Buffalo Trace Trail also passes through a stretch of the Kentucky State Nature Preserve that's located on Blue Licks Park grounds, and this nature preserve is where you can see the severely endangered Shorts goldenrod, which blooms in late summer into early fall. It's a beautiful yellow flower if you've never seen it, and this is one of only two places in the entire planet where you can see this flower. There's another little area over by Evansville, I think, Evansville, Indiana. But we have the other location, which is beautiful and it's set on a really nice park and nature preserve. The Heritage Trail uses interpretive signs to take you on a tour of the area's rich history, ranging from Revolutionary War to Underground Railroad history and Daniel Boone. There are a lot of interpretive signs. You can read read about different things that went down in the area and... Really just get a feel for how historically significant this little corner of Kentucky is. Because it really is historically significant. And that brings me back to my initial remark about this park, which is there really is something for everybody. To make things even more interesting, this park is home to many events throughout the year. Some of the events that have been put on in the park in the past include... Uh, valentine's day dinner dates uh naturalist week, first hike of the year, and uh, a lot of activities going on in December so really unless you're looking for that fifty hundred mile backpacking trek, you really will visit this park and find something that you're looking for- like I said, whether that's just kicking back in a lodge and taking in a nice wooded view off the balcony or You know, doing some hikes, learning some history, it's all there. Even still, interestingly enough, Blue Licks is not offensively far from access to backpacking trails, as you're only about an hour, maybe slightly more, from the town of Moorhead, which is a Kentucky trail town, and I believe the northern terminus of the Sheltoe is not too far from Moorhead, it might even be in the city limits. So... Maybe you're looking for a nice relaxing stop before you start the Sheltoe or another backpacking trail in the Daniel Boone. Maybe you're looking for a place to kick back and, you know, regain some calories that you probably lost and have a nice bed to sleep on for a couple nights. This park would make a very nice before or after stop on a backpacking trip, and it's only an hour away from backpacking trails. So you're really not losing either way. So a little bit on the food and lodging in the area which really unless you're staying in the park doesn't amount to a ton but I don't think you'll find that a problem when I mean it doesn't amount to a ton I mean in terms of quantity you don't have 85 different hotels to choose from there's a bed and breakfast in Carlisle and that's maybe 10 minutes from the park if you're looking for a chain hotel you'll be looking in Maysville because that's going to be the closest town with something like that. Lexington is pretty considerably far away. I want to say it's an hour away. Maysville is going to be like your big town in the area and it's really not that big so that's really not a statement of any kind. I highly recommend however that you check out the lodge at Blue Licks. It's very clean. The beds are very comfortable and it'll provide you obviously a a good location. You'll be in the park so it doesn't get much better than that location wise. But, but even further, you wake up in the morning and you're a stone's throw from breakfast. I mean, if you're staying in like building one, you walk out of your lodge room, hang a right, and walk about 20 feet, you're going to be looking right at the dining room. So there's really no reason not to stay there. Not to mention the prices are fantastic and they, they do take care of you, especially if you're a state, federal employee, law enforcement, military, anything like that. They do take care of you. The Lodge dining room breakfast is pretty solid. It offers simple, hearty breakfast items at affordable prices. They don't do all that crazy avocado toast and poached eggs and all that stuff. They keep it simple. Simple, you know, sausage, fried eggs and pancake meals, things like that, breakfast sandwiches. But it's good hearty stuff if you're preparing for a day of hiking or even just a day of being a lazy tourist. You can get a pretty decent meal there. And it'll have all the calories and protein and things that you would want or need to start your day off. In terms of food though in the area, the one big recommendation I would make is the lick Dinner Bell. I'm going to tell you right now, of all the restaurants I've been to in a span of north to south, probably 2,000 miles, at least 1,500, I've been to a lot of diners, and I can tell you right now, that's the absolute best one I've ever been to, ever, seriously, absolute best. It offers a absolutely wonderful value, you absolutely will leave with leftovers unless you have a massive appetite. The portions there are made to satisfy a massive appetite, so definitely be hungry when you go there, and uh, I'll tell you right now, I ordered the one pork chop dinner, and it absolutely filled filled me up. It'll fill you up, too. Incredible food, and to be honest, I probably would have ordered enough to have leftovers if I had had a room nearby when I tried it the first time, but... When I went there the second time, because I've been there during the recording of this episode, I went back down to Blue Licks because it's so close to the area that I'm from, and uh, I actually did bring leftovers home from that trip because it is just that good, and I got three meals for $30. It's crazy how good the value is and how good the food is. The best restaurant food you've ever had will come from the Lick Dinner Bell, so be sure and check it out if you're in the area. It's a great small business. You're supporting... A local business, it's not some big corporation, and the food is just fantastic and super fresh. Alright, so now I'm just going to take a minute and talk about the process of getting to Blue Licks. It's pretty cut and dry, there's not a whole lot of roads that run through the area, and there's not a whole lot of places you'd really be coming from except for a couple. The main drag that runs through there is going to be US 68, it's a beautiful scenic route, And it runs all the way from Maysville down to, like, Land Between the Lakes. And it runs up into Ohio, too, but that's the main drag that takes you by Blue Licks. And you're either going to be coming from Highway 9 and heading south-west, or you're going to be coming north from Lexington, northeast on 68. Maybe if you're coming from Moorhead... Off to the east, maybe you're taking State Route 32. Same with uh, Cynthiana off to the west. If you're coming from Cynthiana, maybe you're taking State Route 32 and heading east. But generally speaking, most people are going to use 68 because they either got on 68 from Kentucky 9 up in Maysville or they got on 68 from Interstate 75 in Lexington. And from Maysville, it's about a half hour to Blue Licks, and from Lexington, it's about I think 55, 60 minutes, and, uh, about the same for Moorhead. is about 40 minutes away. So pretty much wherever you're coming from, you're going to get generally to the area via the highway, but you're going to have to get on 68 and 68 or 32 and, and drive a little ways to get there, but it's, it's not too far off the beaten path. And, uh, US 68 is a nice road. It's, uh, bits and pieces of it have been repaved and, uh, There's plenty of uh, truck lanes, so you got opportunities to pass and and all that. Slow traffic isn't generally a problem, and it's just a pretty easygoing route to take, really. And I think that's going to bring us to our talk about the trails. So, as mentioned before, there's not quite as much mileage at this little pint-sized park as there is at some of the other exciting locations I've covered on this show, but... Short of, like, your crazy stuff like rock climbing and backpacking, there is something here for everyone, as I said, so that would not exclude hiking. And at this park, you'll find about eight miles of trails that range from super easy to pretty moderately difficult. There's not really any extremely difficult stuff here. But uh, two of the trails, as a matter of fact, follow the Licking River, at least for a spell which means you'll get a nice kind of scenic water feature along two of the trails that you choose to do, if you choose to do those trails. And a lot of the trails intersect with each other. You've got five trails, the Heritage Trail, Buffalo Trace, Savannah Loop, Indian Run, and Licking River Trail. And most of these intersect with each other or connect to each other, which allows you to kind of make up your own route and get different different perspectives and different quantities of mileage out of your trips. And a lot of these trails also can connect you from one park attraction to the other. So you might be visiting the museum, the on-site museum, and you want to get back to the campground or you want to walk down to the boat ramp or something, and there are trails that will take you right to all that stuff. It's super convenient, and it's just a nice way to be able to get across the park. There are parks that you go to that you can't necessarily have that luxury. You either walk along the road, or you have to finish. You know, you have to hike and then drive, and then hike a little more. But uh, this place is pretty well connected by roads to drive on, and by trails. So that's kind of a nice little feature. It's not a huge park to begin with, anyway. So you're never more than a two-minute drive or ten-minute walk to this or this or that. But uh, I'll start with one of my favorite trails. It's a shorter trail, but it's still awesome. The Licking River Trail. And this one is pretty much a loop. It's a mile long. Maybe 1.1 miles, 1.15, something like that. And uh, you start and end at two different points, but they're super close together and they're connected by a trail that spans about a tenth of a mile, which is how you get 1.1, where the map will tell you it's a, a one-mile trail. The Licking River Trail, at least the way I do it, starts at the picnic shelter across from the museum, and you start at the trailhead, you have to park at the museum, and then walk down the stairs past the shelter, and the trailhead's on the left, and you, the whole way of the first stretch of the trail, because there's kind of like three or four distinct sections, the first part is about maybe a quarter mile, two-tenths of a mile, and it's all down, which is nice unless it's super muddy. I've kind of had a slip and slide situation where I just wasn't getting traction for anything. But uh, it's a straight shot down. There's a little kind of runoff drainage kind of creek that runs along the trail. So if it just rained, that is one nice thing that you get is sometimes that'll be running and it'll, it'll sound nice. It's a nice little water feature when it's recently rained or if there's snow melting off, ice melting off, that kind of a thing. But you get to the bottom you've you're passing through it's kind of thick woods, bushes trees there's a lot of there's a lot of pawpaws, oaks, that kind of a thing a few fine a few pine trees but uh kind of just closed in nice you know plenty of uh canopy, plenty of shade, a little bit of sun getting through, and you get to it levels out, and when it levels out, you're right next to the licking river and uh You get down to the bottom, it's been about two-tenths of a mile at this point, and you hang a left, and the trail actually combines with the boat ramp access road. And so the next section of the trail actually is a third of a mile, and the trail is the boat ramp access road. You're kind of walking off to the side and watching for what little traffic drives up and down that road. But the great thing about this section of the trail is it does level out so you're not going up or down for a little bit and you're walking right along the river which it's a common thing I'm sure in this you know this area or that area where there's you know a lot of riverside trails but it's something I've only been able to do twice now so it's kind of cool walking along a river like that. The only other trail I hiked that was like that was a long the Niagara River, actually, at the Devil's Hole Trail at Devil's Hole State Park. It was a really cool experience. It's a much bigger, might I say, more action-packed river. But nonetheless, this one at Blue Licks is quite a treat. And Even though it's only a third of a mile or so, it's uh, a nice refreshing change, especially for somebody like me who doesn't experience it all that often. So, anyways, after hanging a left... From that first section of trail onto this paved access road, like I said, the trail is the actual road itself, and you'll stay on the road for about a third of a mile and take in those beautiful river views, like I was talking about. And uh, this is also where you'll pass by the boat ramp, of course. And while I've never seen a line to get in line at this boat ramp, I would say it is still a very nice, and might I add, even peaceful place to set up and go boating or fishing because of the lack of traffic that goes through there. I actually have never seen anybody bringing a boat in or taking a boat out. And so beyond this point, so you've already hiked the first section and then the second section along the boat ramp access road. This third little chunk is going to take you back in the woods. You're back on the dirt trail. Uh, You're going to be surrounded by a lot of good pine trees, some beautiful wildflowers that bloom at different points uh, from spring through late summer, and of course you'll see some of your usual staples for this area. Pawpaw trees, oaks, maples, things like that. You get a nice thick lush green forest throughout the summer, something that is just going to surround you, just envelop you in a complete bubble of green and it's uh, a really nice beautiful kind of intimate experience you get a nice canopy a nice shade not a whole lot of sun gets through which keeps it cool of course the colors can be pretty nice in the fall last fall they were pretty nice I got there right as they were starting to change and even in the winter the views are extremely rewarding especially on the Licking River but also on all the other trails as well Uh, After passing through the woods for a quarter mile or so and hanging a left at a trail intersection that follows signs, you're following the signs to the campground. You will eventually be taken directly to the campground after a brief but pretty decently steep climb uh, where you have multiple trailheads you can use to exit the trail onto the campground. Might be worth mentioning that the campground is it has a few campground plots that back up to trail access so you can if you reserve a certain site and right now I'm thinking of site seven you can just leave your tent and there's a trail cut through right there that takes you to the savannah loop so that's pretty cool and that's going to take us to the buffalo trace trail this would be the fourth section of this uh, savannah loop route that I'm proposing, but it's also its own trail, uh, cut-through trail, actually, that takes you through the Kentucky Nature Preserve that protects the Shorts Goldenrod and also links the campground to the museum. It will also take you to one of the trailheads for the Heritage Trail. The Buffalo Trace Trail is about maybe a tenth, two-tenths of a mile long. It's very short and at one point you will find yourself surrounded by the shorts goldenrod. This plant is extremely endangered and Blue Licks is one of two places on earth that this plant can still be found. This beautiful yellow flower blooms from mid to late August through about October and it paints the whole trail yellow in the section of the trail that you can find it at. So be sure to hike this short easy trail and of course You won't have a choice if you're trying to get back to the museum parking lot as part of the Savannah Loop route, but it's also worth mentioning just on its own, if you're there for a different purpose or you didn't hike the Savannah Loop, you should definitely check out the Heritage Trail. It's a very easy, very short trail. There's interpretive signs that pertain to the rich history of this trail, and uh, you'll surely enjoy the wonderful and rare sight of the Shorts Goldenrod. It should also be mentioned that this trail is just a small section of an old underground railroad route. And every so often, the park does a guided hike where visitors like you and me are able to learn more about that rich and important history. And while I haven't done one, I hope to do so soon, because that's something I'd like to learn about. That's an important part of our nation's history, and it took place right at a park that I visited and intend to visit again. So, once you get to the end of the Buffalo Trace Trail, you, of course, either hiked it alone, or you've finished the Savannah Loop Route, and you're back to where you started. Because, of course, the route that I proposed, the route that I do all the time, is starting at the museum parking lot, crossing the street down to the shelter, and coming all the way back around to the museum. You end up at about 1.1 miles, and... uh, While some of it was easy you'll find that you actually had a bit of a workout. So definitely do a stretch or two because uh, what goes up, what goes down that is, must always come up. And then of course one more trail I'd love to mention is the Heritage Trail. And that is going to be the park's long trail, if you dare call it that, at two and three quarter miles, the route I usually take is the longest and by all counts likely the most common. The trailhead for the Heritage Trail is located at about the halfway point of the Buffalo Trace Trail and it's the only trail that will take you to the other side of Highway 68. You'll notice that uh, if you're coming from Lexington you will have turned left into the park. Of course if you're coming from Maysville you would have turned right And there's a wooded area across from the park. And of course there's that sidewalk kind of overpass that you would drive under if you're coming from Maysville and going to the second entrance where the campground is. So a bit of that land over there actually is part of the park. And the Heritage Trail runs right along the highway on the other side there. That's what that overpass is for. And you go up for about a mile on the other side of 68 before you cross back over by walking under a memorial bridge that 68 goes over. But anyways the trail for the most part is easy with a couple brief but noticeable climbs toward the end and those aren't too bad they are definitely noticeable and can be especially to a novice hiker a tiny bit cumbersome if it's wet, but the trail is nice and wide, it's nice and marked, and there's really only a couple spots that you find yourself climbing. Um, but due to the you know, due to the length of it, if you do happen to be hiking this trail when it's a little bit hotter outside, be sure and bring an extra bottle of water. Anyways, as I said, the uh, trail for the most part is pretty easy. And uh, furthermore, it is mostly wooded, and the trail itself is a mixture of dirt and gravel. Much of the trail is lined with trees, and at times those trees provide a canopy for you, which, especially in the summer, is a very nice feature of the trail. While the trail is, as I said, relatively easy and straightforward, it's marked well and everything, it is nonetheless beautiful, intimate, and quaint, and it actually boasts a few unique features. A few, a few notable items that uh, make this trail unique include a part of an old battle fort, including a watchtower. I believe there was more than just one structure, though. And that's uh, located about halfway through the trail. I'm not totally sure if this is all original or reproductions, so to speak, but they are very cool and it serves as a reminder of the Revolutionary War history that took place on the park grounds. Remember, the final battle of the Revolution took place here. At this site, there is also a picnic table or two and I believe a garbage can, so this would be a wonderful spot to picnic as it's uh, surrounded by nice rolling hills, and off in the distance, some good wooded areas. So, maybe a good peaceful spot to uh, hike in some food and give that a try. What I later found out, and I had to come back and throw this in while I was editing the episode, because this is actually a really cool fun fact that I didn't know until right after I finished recording this episode, That little area is actually Tanner Station, uh, part of an old fort uh, type of thing that they had back in the Revolutionary War times, and I'm still unsure of whether or not the buildings are original or if these are replicas, but it's still cool nonetheless. I'm trying to remember if there's an interpretive sign or not explaining that. If there is, obviously I didn't read it because I discovered it after the fact, what it's what it's called and when it's from and all that but nonetheless it's still a very cool attraction that you should be sure to check out if you hike the heritage trail it's hard to miss it's just roughly halfway through the trail and you'll start to see uh, old fort type buildings beyond that you'll hike past a tiny section of the licking river that you'll bump up against for just a second before going back into the woods and there's a little walk-off. I'm not sure if it's private property or state property, but there's a little walk-off. You can go down, actually, down to the shore of the river, and even, you know, I would I would think fish if it's not private property, but I would definitely double-check that. Uh, it's a nice, quiet area, and uh, certainly a sight to behold, as is anything in nature. And of course, after that, you'll go back up into the woods and actually finish your hike at about the same location as the Savannah Loop when you hit the trail intersection and start following signs to the campground. So you can see how everything kind of links together and makes itself familiar to you and pretty easy to use, really. And of course, you'll just follow those campground signs until you get back to the campground, and then you'll hike out of the campground if you parked at the museum. You'll hike out of the campground again and uh, take up the Buffalo Trace Trail across to the museum. And once you've done that, because the loop, this is another loop where the start and end points aren't exactly the same, you'll find that you've hit right around 2.75, maybe slightly closer to 3 miles. Now, of course, on the map it says 2 miles, but that's just for the Heritage Trail. It does not include the mileage that you would put in hiking across the campground, hiking up the Savannah Loop, or uh, any of that. So, it's a pretty good hike, and uh, if you start and edit the museum, it can give you a little bonus mileage that you didn't really know you were in for. And now, of course, this is about the time that I start lending some of my personal experiences and uh, discussing what I've enjoyed at the park and and basically just drive my point home that this is a park very well worth visiting because I believe it is. I've been there many times. I have a lot of experience with this park. I'm actually a registered volunteer there uh, as of the recording of this episode. And I just can't help but I, I just can't stay away. I can't help it. It's a wonderful place it's so peaceful and and quaint it's a hard park not to love and uh on that note i have to say once again as with all my other experiences so far with kentucky state parks the state of kentucky has knocked it out of the park again this is a solid 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 park run by excellent staff and management i i know uh plenty of the staff and managers there and and they all seem to love their park and uh, that's the kind of attitude you need to run a park and run it well. The food at the lodge is very solid. Maybe, just maybe, I enjoyed the food at Pine Mountain slightly more. I don't know if it's how it was cooked. I don't know if it's the ingredients are different or the recipes are different. I wouldn't surmise that be the case. Uh, but uh, at any rate, if even if that's the truth, the food at Blue Licks is still very, very good and it's a good value. You get a lot for your money. The lodge rooms that I've stayed in a million times are always so comfortable, cozy, and, and, and all of that. I'm always very pleased with how comfy, cozy, and clean they are. Especially clean. The beds are extremely comfortable. The rooms have a dining table, refrigerator, TV, a full vanity. Lin- linens are provided. You can get soap, shampoo, conditioner, All that stuff, the room, each room, actually, every single room, has a private patio or deck. And which one you get depends on what level you're on. This lodge is kind of cool because it's built into almost kind of uh, the side of a hill or something. And it drops off to where people staying on the lower level descend into a really beautiful courtyard to get to their rooms. People on the upper level use elevated breezeways to get to their rooms. And in between the buildings, there's upper level and lower level areas where you can go smoke or just, uh, you know, if you don't want to. Because when I was a kid, my dad used to smoke. And, of course, you couldn't do that in the room or, you know, much less on the balcony because we were just kids. Good place to go, you know, for that. But also just to hang out and just take it in if you don't want to be cramped on your balcony. They're not too small, but of course if there's more than two of you, you'll need a place to go. So, perfect place to just relax. One thing I will say is how quiet it is at night. And on a clear night, of course, because you're out in the country, being out on your deck or your patio, you'll be able to see some pretty good stars, which is always nice, and of course... Uh, during the summer you'll hear the crickets and all that, and that's about all you hear. And of course in the room you don't hear a whole lot of anything because they're pretty well insulated, especially for their age. The campground is something I also have experience with, and I also must say that that is a wonderful experience. My only time staying there, I actually had an equipment malfunction. I had to go next door to the lodge and get a room because there was an issue with the cot I was using. So, I went over there, and I got a room, and of course it was a good value. The rooms there range between, I want to say, 96 and and $120, and I think it depends on what kind of room it is and what time of the year it is. But the campground was such a wonderful experience. The hosts that they have this summer are fantastic, shout out to them. But uh, the shower houses were everything you need and nothing you don't, but they were very clean. The campgrounds themselves, like my plot, I stayed at number nine. It was, it had water, it had electricity, nice wooded view off the back, and you know, it had a fire pit, a picnic table. It had everything you need, and uh, it was uh, very quiet, and peaceful. I loved being there. I brought my bass guitar, and uh, I, I just sat outside and jammed, and I, I felt like I was honestly, in another dimension, I just couldn't believe I was just that, I felt so close to nature because of how vacant the campground was that particular night, so there wasn't all this noise, and there weren't fires everywhere, of course, a campfire is a staple, but my point is you could smell the, all the flowers and just the, the fresh air as opposed to smoke, so, I would highly recommend the campground, and the the plots there go for, I want to say, the rustic... I don't even want to say rustic, that's not the right word, but the the non-utility sites, there's six of them. And uh, those go for 15-ish, and mine had electricity and water, and it was 40-ish, which, it's not bad. The thing is, is you're getting all these amenities for that price and even me having to leave because of a equipment malfunction I felt I got my $40 worth just enjoying it for the evening that's how wonderful it was how peaceful it was I was certainly glad to have spent my evening there as opposed to the whole evening being in the lodge room even though the lodge is very nice it was a change of pace and it made me feel like I was closer with nature in a park that I really love visiting so I felt like it was a solid choice, and when I get my equipment figured out, I do intend to camp there again, and I would recommend to anybody that that particular campground. Very, very highly recommend. The museum is also something that I take interest in, too, and I visit it just about every time I'm there, because I just can't get enough of how rich and action-packed the history at this park is And uh, it's yet another park that I have visited where the name Daniel Boone comes up. And I've taken an interest in in his life's work and, and the things that he accomplished. And his name is strewn about that museum just about everywhere. And you can also get insights into the old Salt Licks and the Springs, the original tourist attraction, the original hotel that existed from the late 1800s to the early 1900s before State Park This state park was even conceptualized, so it's a very unique experience where you can get a lot of information on something that you might not call the cornerstone of our history as a nation, but a very important piece of history for this area, and especially something that you're not going to read in any history textbook unless it's specifically studying this area. So definitely visit the museum too, even if you, even if you don't think it's something that you're particularly, particularly going to be interested in, uh, it, give it a shot when you need to cool off after a hike because you know, you're going to want to go into the air conditioning. They have air conditioning. You're going to want water. They have water. So it's something worth checking out. I recommend anybody check it out because this is important and really interesting information that they have to offer. And price of admission is super low. I want to say it's somewhere around uh, maybe $5 a person, $10 a person. It's not bad. And I want to say kids were discounted. And of course, there are still many, many, many other amenities at this park. There are picnic tables and picnic areas, grill-out areas, all about the park. There's a couple of shelters. Of course, This episode has was recorded from late July into early August of 23, and at that time, the pool was still closed indefinitely due to needing repairs, and of course that's subject to change any time, because they're they're down on the list a little bit, but not too far, in terms of being able to replace the pool, or. Ditch it all together and possibly do a water park type of thing. Which is an idea that I heard was going around. But you also have mini golf. And while I haven't played that yet. I have heard many great things. It's apparently a very engaging course. It's only nine holes. But I've heard it's very engaging and very well done. And the holes. I have seen the course. And a lot of the holes are themed uh, like the park. So... That's kind of an interesting thing to do, and uh, there are several areas for different leisure sports across the park. I believe I saw basketball and tennis, so if that's something you're interested in, they have that as well. And of course, there's the actual battle site where the monument is, and they do a reenactment in that area every year. But you can also simply just visit the monument and stand where history took place, the final battle of the revolution. And I did visit the monument, and it is uh, quite something to behold. It's uh, pretty sizable. It's pretty tall. And uh, it's just the presence of it is very striking and symbolic of the big deal that the final battle of the revolution was. I mean, we won, and that was the final battle. So that just about wraps up the episode, really. But of course, before I go, I always introduce something that I carry in my hiking pack that uh, I never leave without, and some of you will probably not be surprised by the things that I introduced, and others of you might be like, well, yeah, I never thought of that. Today, one thing I'm going to talk about that I never leave for a hike without is some kind of antibiotic wound treatment like Neosporin and they don't they don't know who I am I'm not advertising for them you can use any brand you want but I never leave without something that can treat the pain and possibly prevent infection of a wound here's why I bring this up now since this episode was recorded I did fall and end up with an infected knee That, of course, did not happen on a trail. But it got me thinking, because I do a lot of hiking, that actually happened on a set of concrete stairs. But it got me thinking, I've taken this stuff before when I thought about it, just in case I were to fall and hit my shin or my knee on a rock. I mean, if it can happen on stairs, it can happen anywhere. So I got to thinking, I need to make sure that I have a tube of this stuff in the car and a tube of it in my bag. So I actually went to my Costco and they had a three pack. I could get one for the house, one for the car, and one for the day pack. And that's exactly what I did. And there's other ways that they can get this stuff to you. Several brands make band-aids, bandages with uh, this antibiotic treatment already built into the padding that would touch the wound. And that can be quite convenient for some people, too, especially those that wish to pack light. But I do recommend carrying something like this with you because it could be the difference between uh, a painful or, on the lesser side of things, simply inconvenient and annoying trip to the doctor to get something prescription strength. That's how I ended up having to go. And uh, on that note as well, you might consider carrying... Uh, some kind of alcohol wipe or gauze and a bottle of alcohol so that you can properly clean the wound at first before you put this stuff on to prevent the infection from happening in the future. All of this stuff can combine f- uh, to make a better hiking experience that potentially could have more longevity because you wouldn't want to have to turn around for because you fear that uh, a wound might be infected. You bring this stuff with you, you might be preventing something that's really annoying because my my knee infection is something that I dealt with for almost two weeks. Almost two weeks I had to be careful on the trail or just decide not to hike at all. Uh, almost two weeks I had to deal with the pain and the bandages and the medication and all that. You can prevent all that by properly treating The wound, and I'm no doctor, so obviously, read the directions and get the stuff that you need for the situation that you're in and do your own research. But generally speaking, it is always good to have something like an antibiotic cream that you can put on the wound before you bandage it up. You never know, might save you a little trouble. So, that's definitely one thing I never ever leave for a hike without. Doesn't matter if it's a quarter mile, doesn't matter if it's 10 miles. I will never go anywhere without that stuff again. All right, so, looking forward to the next episode, I have a real exciting episode for you next time. And we're going to be going back to an area that we've already been to, but we're going to a different park. Imagine that. We're going to back, we're going back to Central Indiana. Little did most of y'all know that really close to Brown County. They are next door neighbors. Brown County State Park is next door neighbors with a place that I visited just a few months ago as of the, as of the recording of this episode. And when I went there, it was the second time I'd been there, but this time it truly blew my mind. You have a nice big lake. You have all different kinds of Trees and and shrubs and bushes and, and greenery all around. But the twist is, both times I went, it was late winter. So I got a really interesting perspective, and I lucked out on weather, you might say. So next time, we are visiting Yellowwood State Forest in just outside of Nashville, Indiana. And i got to tell you, you're in for a real treat. I've got some surprises for that episode that most of you will not have even dreamed could possibly be true. But it is. And I can't wait to tell you all about it on the next episode of Nature's Finest. Until then, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.